I'm thrilled to announce that TSK has returned as headline sponsor for another season. We all see that the world of work has changed. We've seen a true workplace revolution in the last few years. The line between work and life is blurred. We believe the fundamentals of this change is here to stay. When you're a leader in that environment, you're probably having those ongoing questions through the uncertainty, questions around how we can draw people back to the workplace, how we can stay competitive, where are staff supposed to work, and we measure office utilization. How do we transition into hybrid working? How do we maintain the company culture and how much space do we actually need? Why do we even need an office? TSK has spent over two decades helping some of the world's biggest brands to create inspiring places to work for their people. Working with them to create robust workplace strategies, creative design solutions, and quality built environments. TSK's track record is impressive and we wanted to share some of those insights and stories with our listeners here on the Workable Podcast. Well-known global brand, Kellogg's, has always maintained their values for a concrete and positive company culture, expressing this as hashtag like at K. This was most important at the Dublin offices, home of the Kellogg's European headquarters. In 2019, TSK, our headline sponsor, began working with Kellogg's to realize their dream workplace to help their local and European community thrive. But then an unforeseen global event turned the project on its head. More on that later in the show. Welcome back to the Work Bowl podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this is episode four of season eight, sponsored by TSK. And I got to say, I am pumped for this episode so you can meet Joe Averill, founder of Level, a new Manchester, England-based real estate broker, helping fast-growing companies provide the office as a tool and the platform of work in this new world of hybrid working. Joe is the epitome of being bold. In this episode, he shares what prompted him to launch his own real estate company to help fast-growing companies, how he ensures their growth isn't frustrated by inflexible lease terms, and why landlords should have flex in their buildings to support their leasing strategy. Joe shares his advice for growing companies, including how the workplace can be an asset, the importance of community in a workplace strategy, providing the right environments where people feel safe, and the importance of aligning with the right brand. We go on to talk about why Manchester is on fire and whether there is risk of flex saturation. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on topics you will cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Earlier in the show, we introduced the beginning of a workplace transformation for Kellogg's European headquarters. To tell you more about that story, let's hear from the design and build team behind the project, TSK. Our existing relationship with Kellogg's spanned back to 2018 when we designed and delivered their world-class UK head offices in Manchester. We were ready to raise the bar in Dublin, building a strategy to see the team move from two buildings into one unified, open plan and connected space at Dublin Airport. The design had been agreed, work was already underway, then COVID hit. Headlines like, the office is dead, is remote working here to stay, were circulating and businesses around the globe were reconsidering what the purpose of the office was for them. But if anything, it solidified the work we were about to do. 
We wanted to create a space which is more representative of our brand, the way we've innovated and changed in the market. We wanted our offices to look and feel like that as well. It sort of comes back to our four C's about connection, creativity, culture and collaboration. Welcome back to the Workbowl Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker. And today I'm joined by Joe Averill, founder at Level, providing workspace advice to firms across the United Kingdom. Joe's based in Manchester, but he supports businesses across the United Kingdom from searching for a new workspace right through to lease completion, both for traditional and flex space opportunities. Level's business model is to support office customers as opposed to landlords. Joe first started his career in the world of tech, working for a digital adoption platform, AppLearn, in Manchester's first digital hub, the Sharp Project. He then took a change of path into the world of real estate, supporting to advise tenants on their workspace strategy. We keep using the tenants' words in this industry, but I'm going to say customers. <laughs> Joe found a level earlier this year and aims to deliver specialist workspace advice to find the right environment for people at the best value for businesses. Uh, interesting. I like that, Joe. You're combining the people aspect, putting them first, but making sure it works for the business. Welcome to the Workable Podcast, Joe. Hi, Caleb. Thank you very much for having me. Much appreciated. No, it's, it's so good to have you on. You know, look, I, I want to get into your background a little bit and, of course, what you're doing now. But can I just say I really appreciate how you're challenging the status quo. Uh, for the moment we met earlier this year in Manchester, and I know you've been to our bold space, but from that first moment, I knew I wanted you on this podcast one day because you're bold. So I have a lot of respect for you, and, and I would love, if you don't mind sharing, your inflection point that motivated you to start your own real estate company earlier this year. Yes, de- definitely, Caleb. Uh, no problem whatsoever. I think being coming from a tech background, you know, working in the tech business around 2016, and then moving into the real estate sector and working in the real estate sector for my former employer for three years, I came at the real estate industry with a fresh perspective and you know a way to do things differently within property. So when I moved into the real estate sector, I really thought that there could be a fresh approach to the way that things are done. And when I looked at the actual real estate model itself, there was a lot of real estate models within the world of property that were orientated towards the landlord. And there was nobody actually really looking out for the tenants of the world. So what I decided to do earlier this year was to set up a business to represent fast growth businesses on their end-to-end property strategy everything from supporting them from inception of their brief, understand what spaces that they want to have their people in, right through to lease completion. And I like that you were very specific on fast-growing companies. Is there a reason for that? Um, There is a particular reason, Caleb. And the reason for that is I worked in in a previous life in the technology business, AppLearn. And what I realized is when I moved into property, The people in property didn't understand the challenges of fast growth tech businesses, of how to advise them on their end-to-end real estate strategy. So I decided that I knew from both blending the world of technology and property of how to craft a well-structured real estate strategy to align with, you know, fast growth businesses, hiring plans. So can you go a little bit further in... in I mean, how are you helping these fast-growing companies differently? Because I, I know some of the traditional brokers will say they help fast-growing companies. So how are you doing it different? So the first 
point of view of how I'm doing it differently is I'm purely representing tenants. So I don't provide any conflicting advice because my model isn't to support any landlords. I don't market any landlord space, nor will I ever. The best interest lies in advising the tenants themselves. So in terms of fast growth businesses, there's all sorts of different strategies that you can utilize to help them align their growth plans with their new workspace. So for example, these tech businesses will be raising seed investment, then they'll go into the series A investment, series B investment, and it's a constant cycle. So when they get that capital, it's very important that you don't frustrate your growth plans. And a lot of tech businesses sign on traditional leases for five years and three year breaks, but actually they need more flexibility than that in the first place. So it's very important when you're advising these businesses to ensure that they have an element of flex in their lease term so that they don't frustrate the growth. Further to this as well is that a lot of these tech businesses want to put their own culture into their space, particularly when they start getting more of their own identity as they start to grow and mature. However, when they raise this investment, it's important that they keep that capital within the business to foster um, their growth, but also to put into the people and operation side of the business. What they don't really want to be doing is spending, you know, 100,000 up to a quarter million pounds on a brand new fit out. So there's all sorts of clever ways that we work with the fast growth tech business to structure that to ensure that they're not absorbing much of the cost or any of the cost on the fit out. And we can look to basically forward fund these fit outs and rentalize over the tenure of the project, uh, which is providing, you know, really useful advice to these tech businesses who want to utilize that money. Uh, into more effective areas of the business other than a fit out, which usually is, you know, their people and operation side of the business. But there's all sorts of multitude of ways without giving away too many secrets that you can help these tech businesses to align their property strategy with their growth plans, essentially. Yeah, that, that that's, I mean, using my ears, uh, I think that as, a, as an entrepreneur, I recognized a long time ago, you know, office space is such an expensive cost on, a balance sheet when you're trying to grow fast. And, you know, <laughs> I remember um, I was at uh, Mipham London back in maybe 2017, 2018 with Place Tech, our friend's Place Tech up in Manchester. We were in London at Olympia and, you know, they were talking to me about spaces and service. They got me on camera saying long-term leases for a fast-growing company is like telling a 10-year-old to wear the same t-shirt for the next 10 years. And, <laughs> you know, you're going to outgrow it. It's, it's just a given. So I'm, yeah. I really appreciate the, the flexibility uh, need here. Now, I want to come back to that in a moment because we sort of skipped over and I want to go back to your inflection point because I think all the work that you, you're doing now is fantastic and you were a little doing it a little bit, I think, uh, or touching on it at your, at your former employer, but you sort of went out on your own. I mean, that was, that was a bold move. So what, made you decide to start your own business? I think I got to a point when I was at my previous organization, OBI, where I'd hit a ceiling um, in terms of my growth progressions. And I met up with my former employer a few weeks ago. And I'm very grateful, you know, to the opportunities that they've given me. But he was completely transparent and stated, you know, I'm in his eyes, an entrepreneur's worst nightmare because I'm continuously trying to push the boundaries. And I did always try to push him quite hard in terms of, you know, what I was trying to get out of the business, et cetera, and, you know, move on to the next level and proceed into the, you know, the next promotion or whatever that that may be. 
And I just came to a point where I felt I'd achieved everything that I could achieve as an employee and working with entrepreneurial people like my former employer, but also spending a lot of time with these fast growth tech businesses who are, you know, extremely entrepreneurial. It made me want to go out and, you know, once I'd identified that there was an opportunity in the gap in the market there, particularly in Manchester, you know, there was no hope, no holding back there. And I knew that that's what I wanted to, to go and do, essentially. Well, I, I can only imagine the excitement and the anxiety you were having at that moment you, you made that decision. I, I remember when we were having lunch in Blue's Kitchen, uh, just down the road from Bold Bauhaus. Yeah. <laughs> and you told me a story about how you were at a, you know, you're going to have to jump in and correct me here, but you were at an event once where they put you on the spot and had you speak and you didn't like public speaking before. Is that is that right? Do you remember that story? Yes. Yeah, indeed. So basically, as part of my property searches for fast growth businesses, I deliver a diversity and inclusion element in terms of whether you are looking for disabled access provisions, uh, whether you're looking at neurodiverse lighting, you know, to encourage my clients to think about prayer rooms, et cetera, for teams that, you know, have different religious beliefs in their organization that might leverage a, a, a prayer room. So I was at this event, which was being hosted by a lady who specializes in diversity and inclusion consultancy. And because I'd helped one of our mutual clients uh, that she had introduced me to, she thought she was doing me a favor at an event and asking me to come up and tell people about my business in front of 100 people. Little did she know (laughs) that I hate public speaking. Oops. I was in Money Supermarket's office. I got invited to the front. Uh, my name shouted out when I didn't even anticipate my name being shouted out and had to walk to the front. And I, I thought, I think I came out with a curse word saying, you must be, you know, you must be joking. And um, I then just thought to myself, you know, I'm going to have to walk to the front. So I first walked to the front <laughs> in front of 100 to 150 people. And um, I just said, listen, I despise public speaking with a passion uh, with my hand shaking from bouncing from ceiling to ground uh, and just literally blanked out and said maybe 20 30 words maximum and passed the microphone over and got myself off stage as quick as possible <laughs> and and uh i remember you saying you t- when you told me that story which i think you know kudos to you for for not walking out the room um but when you when you take advantage of those opportunities and and putting yourself out there in in positions where you're not so comfortable you push your limits you push the boundaries of your own self that leads to opportunities right and you were telling me about some opportunities that came from that yeah definitely i mean somebody like myself has had to transition from being you know younger and a little bit reserved and a little bit shy to being ambitious and having to push through those boundaries to, you know, go and have to do these things you don't want to do. For example, you know, whether that be the podcast, whether it be the public speaking. One thing that I have got a lot better at over the years is the networking side of things. I'm much more comfortable in networking environments. And you're right, when you do start to push yourself into these situations that you don't want to do, opportunities uh, do start to arise. And I think a lot of people, you know, can em- empathize with, you know, somebody who's nervous when the public speaking or gets thrown into a situation like that. 
because one, it's authentic, but two, at the same time, everybody knows how challenging uh, public speaking is. And I did take on, after that incident, I did decide it was time to uh, take on sort of, you know, a a blend between a business slash life coach. Uh, And I've been doing that for the past six months. And I've taken on somebody who's been absolutely brilliant for me. And we've done a lot of work together on self-development, which has been brilliant for, as I say, self-development, but also that's impacted positively uh, on my business as well. Well, you're clearly doing well. I've, I've been enjoying your inspiring LinkedIn post and watching all your wins. Uh, we almost had one of those together and I hope we get some deals across the line soon. Uh, our, gosh, Kitman Labs, they were a brilliant customer for Bold. Uh, such an innovative company out of Dublin and what they do for athletes is just fantastic. So uh, keep them coming. Keep them coming, Joe. And I hope we get one done together soon, Caleb. We will. I have no doubt about that. But that brings me to Manchester and the market there. It's on fire. So why is it on fire? And why the hell are all these fast-growing companies coming to you? <laughs> I think uh, in terms of Manchester, it's got a great infrastructure and support network around it, which attracts these tech businesses. So the first thing that's really interesting for these businesses is the fact of our universities, aka the, the talent pool that can provide their businesses you know, with a, with a high level of talent. So we have Manchester University, Manchester Metropolitan University, Salford University, all within close proximity. I think the great thing about Manchester as well, it's all, you know, always known as the, the walking city because you can literally walk end to end in 30 minutes as well. But around that, there's a lot of investment as well coming into Manchester for these tech businesses, which is also appealing. You know, there's some great financial arms out there who've got great experience with advising businesses, you know, of high caliber and have seen businesses go from, you know, seed right through to IPO. Um, A couple of names, for example, the likes of um, GP Bullhound and Freight Chora, who, you know, have got very strong presences in the finance sector and have got a plethora um, of great clients that they've advised over the years. And I think that knowledge and experience and that investment coming into Manchester is particularly you know, enticing for these businesses to come to Manchester. But a big point to add on top of that as well is the fact that Manchester is such a strong business community and everybody actually wants to help each other. And I think that's the case for quite a lot of the cities in the Northwest. But Manchester is a brilliant place for a startup because of that community. And I think what's great about Manchester now, particularly in the tech sector, is that these, these businesses that are, some which are Manchester-based and getting to unicorn status and going through the realms. I mean, we've got the Hook Group, we've got the likes of Matillion, and we've got other great businesses as well that are coming through, you know, the likes of Peak AI, who it enable that experience on your doorstep to filter through to these other teams, you know, that are trying to start up and scale up in the city as well. So that knowledge and experience, which you can lean on in Manchester business community is invaluable as well for for these businesses. But again, in relation to the workspace side of things, Manchester, one of the best things to happen to Manchester was in 2016, I believe it was, when WeWork chose their first regional city outside of London to be Manchester. So that basically turned a lot of heads in the world of real estate in the city for landlords to actually 
up their game in terms of the products that they were providing, which again, I think is a great incentive for these tech businesses that they have the right environments for their business to thrive in as well. It's an interesting um, uh, couple of things you said uh, that I want to bring out is, is you mentioned community multiple times, and I think that's super important, both in a city or an ecosystem, but also within the workspace itself. But the other thing you said is that I find fascinating is how the investment comes in, it helps grow fast growing companies, but then having the right workspace and flexibility within real estate to enable these fast growing companies to, to grow and not stunt that growth by having these big, you know, big barriers to entry. Those three things, the, the investment, these fast growing companies, entrepreneurs in, the, in, in a community that support each other, combined with that flexibility in the real estate world come together. Uh, that's what I heard you just described. And I think you described that very well for Manchester. It's what we're seeing. Yeah, definitely. And on that side now, you know, when I'm advising my tech clients, it's important for me to advise them that they can get so much more from the workspace. And that's easy to communicate to those that see workspace as an asset and not just a business cost. That choosing the right landlord partner is a fundamental piece of your workspace strategy because, you know, you can get so much more from your environment now. And, um, you know, you guys at Boulder, the prime example of that, that support service that you provide around to your clients and, you know, the community that you're building there and what you're doing for them beyond just providing them a workspace such as, you know, classes, workshops, whatever that may be to enhance their business performance, whether it's key introductions that might benefit their business. So it's important that, you know, more landlords and operators out there take note of that because, these occupiers and businesses um, are understanding now that they can get a lot more from their workspace. I, I'm glad you said that. And th- thank you for, for acknowledging and, and noticing that about, about Bold. We, you're really, our whole ethos is, and you've been to our space, you've seen it, the design and, and the ethos there. But you know, more importantly, what we believe as a brand uh, in our mission to support champion entrepreneurs, you can't just say that, you have to live it. An entrepreneur from idea to you know, through the seed series A and B and beyond, they need to, to learn and to grow and they need a lot of support in an ecosystem. And we do a lot of thinking around how to provide that. But, you know, I want to ask because, you know, Manchester is on fire. We opened in April and are nearly full. We have a waiting list and we have demand out the ass. So we're actively looking for, you know, more space. But, how much space is needed? What do you think? Is there is there a tipping point for saturation or do you think the whole of Manchester need to be flex? I'm not 100% sure whether the whole of Manchester needs to be flex, but I think definitely that these landlords that have vacant suites on, you know, within their building definitely need to consider partnering with a flex operator. I recently wrote a newsletter on LinkedIn, which has just highlighted the fact that a lot of the businesses that are already here in terms of the flexible workspaces operators are starting to increase their presence. Uh, but we're also attracting, you know, new operators into the city from different areas of the UK, even from overseas now. So that flex offering is showing that there is a lot of demand for the supply. Ariga have just taken the new building, which is 26,000 square feet. Hulkle Tree have expanded in their existing building and taken 11,500 square feet. So there's a lot of activity in the city. 
And I think you'll see more and more on that of that for the foreseeable because there is that appetite for flexible workspace. And I think landlords would be wise if they are launching a new building or a new new um, product to market to consider flex for their building because you know it provides a level of amenity for their for their product. Um, you know, if they've got a building of 10 floors and they u- utilize the first three floors for a flexible workspace operator. Um, I think it provides opportunity for the rest of their building for, you know, some of these scale up businesses to grow into the bigger floor plates. And when you're advising your clients, how much does brand play a role in, in that conversation? Um, in terms of the brand of the space that I'm putting them into? Correct. Yes. The operator themselves. Yeah, I think it's massive because, I mean, all these searches, what I've noticed more and more is that when you collate in the brief, it's not just, you know, four desks in the meeting room anymore. These people want to understand, you know, what are the values behind the business? Does this match with our sustainability ethos? You know, does this match with our wider values and what we're looking to achieve as a a business? So when I'm advising them, you know, track record uh, and brand are key. Because as I say, when I'm advising my clients, you know, you can get a lot more from your workspace now they see the whole point is to help them see that you can view workspace as an asset. It's not just a business cost. When you choose in a landlord, you can get a lot more value for your money. A brand is very important and the ability, you know, for the landlord to deliver on what they say they're going to deliver as part of that brand. Yep. That's fantastic. Thank, thank you for that. So with these companies that you're advising, are you seeing with fast growth that they're having, how are they accommodating the new ways of working? And is that changing what you've seen, how people procure space now? Meaning uh, nobody's going to be in the office every single day now. So are they taking less space or are they taking less space per head? Or what are you seeing? I always say it normally comes down to three things when people ask about the hybrid remote working and back to the office. And I think fundamentally it starts at leadership stage in terms of you know, what is the future of work at your organization and how are you communicating that to your team? Because if you don't have that clear strategy in mind as a leader, your leadership style, you can't communicate that effectively then to your team to identify what the future of work is going to look like at your organization. So it comes from the leader in terms of are they emotionally intelligent enough to actually sit down with their team and ask them what they want from the future of work, whether they want to be in the office, uh, whether they want a level of hybrid, you know, whether they want to be fully remote. I think that leadership piece is, is fundamental because that will then shape your communication, but also your hiring strategy moving forward as to who you want in your team and whether you might be willing to, you know, bend to some of your team's, requirements as well and and suggestions of how they want to work so that's an important piece from the actual business and the leadership side is how they're communicating what the future of work looks like and then from there from some of these businesses it then goes down to culture as to whether you actually have a good enough culture for your people to come back in into the business and that might seem like you know quite a simple thing to say however if you've not got the culture people who you know leaders who might not be self-aware you know, might just think it comes down to the individual who doesn't want to work in the office, but actually it's 
their leadership style and maybe their cultural style as to why people don't want to come back. And then the third one is actually personal circumstance. So you might have some people at home who, you know, like to drop the kids off to school and it works more operationally from them, you know, being able to pick the kids up, working from home, saving time on commuting and costs from commuting. Um, Alternatively, you might have someone else who, you know, might have some mental health issues and doesn't like working from home and has a bad working from home environment. So they'd like to get into the office. So all these three things are sort of, for me, are shaping people's strategy. So each business for me is completely different. But what I would say is what I have seen a lot of from personal experience is these businesses that are trying to deliver the hybrid um, solution as a hybrid working model. And the ones that are doing it best are the ones that understand what hybrid means to their organization and have actually had the emotional intelligence to sit down with with their employees and actually see what worked for them and asking the right questions and crafting a hybrid working strategy around that to say, you know, this is when we do our team days, this is when we do our meetings, uh, this is when we want you in the office. We understand, you know, that you might not want to be in every day and start to craft because if you don't have that clarity of communication as what hybrid means in your organization it means one thing to an employer and it means one thing to an employee so what i would say on that fact is communication is key for those that want to do the hybrid working model effectively Um, and that's what i've seen a a lot of businesses in the market that have done it well have done exactly that those that are failing have just said that they're doing hybrid working without much of a strategy around it without much of a discussion with the team in terms of you know in-depth conversations and it's important you know for these leaders to provide an environment where their people feel safe to you know fully express themselves of how they want to work very good advice and we're seeing a lot of companies having case by case scenarios and you know some companies are coming in they're taking an office and you know, they're applying a 2 to 1 ratio they have twice as many people than the space can accommodate but they know not everybody's going to be in the office and i, I i've seen some companies do five times the, the amount so what I mean by that is they're taking space for five times the amount of people that it can accommodate because nobody's going to be in every single day. In Bo Bauhaus, when someone uh, takes an office, they their team has access to that as well. So we're trying to structure the right commercials to to accommodate their private space and, and have them access to the spillover space as well. But, you know, I think there's good advice to communication is absolutely key, but I'm curious the ones that you're seeing doing it successfully, are they applying a different strategy to real estate than they used to? Because it used to be that we had to get an office because that's where you know everything was, that's where we had to go work. And uh, now the office is becoming more of a meeting space instead of a workspace. Are you seeing any changes there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it comes down to the environment. And when I'm advising clients it's talking them through everything that's in the building in terms of the the level of amenity and people are blending their working model now as work and and social so i'm seeing a lot of people i suppose coming into more hospitality environments uh, within manchester market because these spaces are starting to transition now from old you know traditional offices 
through to more vibrant communities that might have communities where you can and spaces where you can do yoga, health and well-being events. It might be, um, you know, bar or event space where people can socialize after work as well. You know, cafes and things like that and a bit more of a mix and variety of spaces to um, suit the way that they work rather than just being in between four walls for, for a day. So it's nice to see that there is um, a transition in terms of these spaces accommodating for the way that businesses work. And I think we'll continue to see more of that in terms of spaces diversifying so that they can fit to the way that people work, which is, you know, coming in and having having meetings, but being able to, you know, get off at any time they want and deliver the work from anywhere that they want to work, whether that's in the office, whether that's home seen a lot of businesses now including work from anywhere abroad for one day or two day a month so i think it's a, a great market for the employees and it's definitely an employees market at the minute where it's getting really competitive in terms of what businesses are offering which is nice to see because the benefits packages that are coming in for people now are fantastic they are, and it's um, it's good that we're putting people at, at the at the front center. I just on my soapbox would say real estate needs to do the same thing. Um, so I'm, I'm glad there's people like you who are making sure that real estate is putting people at the front center. As we close this out, I'll, I've got a few questions for you to leave some advice for a few different people, and I, I was going to ask your advice for landlords. And you've already sort of answered that by saying they should partner with an operator to bring flex in. So we'll skip that one. But what advice do you have for fast growing companies? For fast growing companies, I mean, you have to consider two elements when you're doing any workspace strategy and it comes down to people and it comes down to your business performance, but your business performance is underpinned by your people. So I think I touched on the word before emotional intelligence. I think they need to sit down with their team and understand their desires from what they want from a workspace, how they want best, you know, how they want to work that best suits them. But also making sure the space is fit for purpose. Everybody in the tech space is hiring more inclusively, which is great to see. But it's important that the space that they're going in represents their inclusive hiring strategy so i think i mentioned it before in terms of if you're looking for a space you need to consider things for your people such as you know disabled access prayer rooms neuro neurodiverse lighting you know other provisions when you are hiring more inclusively and sitting down with the team understanding the, the, the way that they work and from a business perspective i would say that they need to get their brief sorted from an instant and understand what level of spend they want to invest in into their space and make sure that they craft a real property strategy. It's so hard in terms of uh, communicating how difficult it is for people to deliver a proper property strategy because when these businesses go out and search for a new office, they literally think that it's just searching for an office and it's as simple as that. So what I'd encourage people to do is, you know, make sure they do their due diligence, not just search on market opportunities, but off market opportunities, you know, utilize their networks because there might be tenants that are moving out of spaces. 
um, which allow them to move into a fully fitted out space and save on capital expenditure fit outs. And also, you know, perhaps get the at the end of a flexible lease term of somebody moving out of these spaces because off-market opportunities can be gems for businesses. I'd also encourage them to understand, you know, from an operational perspective from the business, what they actually need to, you know, what are the business critical things for them for the performance of their business. As you'll probably know, Caleb, operating in your field, there's a prop tech business out there called Wildscore, which are raising buildings on their performance of their digital connectivity from platinum through to bronze so it's imperative that these businesses plan for that and understand the digital connectivity of the building you know look at things like sustainability of the building and prepare thoroughly when they're going out for the search because that's the you know a big part of the battle is the brief stage and challenging the way that they think about the office and the new ways of working essentially to make sure that they're getting the best space for their people, but um, at the best value for their business. Yeah, I think um, it, you mentioned wired score. Uh, I, it'd be interesting to see sort of a glass door or a trip advisor for office buildings. I think it, it sounds like it would be, you know, difficult to make it viable because historically companies have signed long leases. So by the time they move out, it's been, they were, they're already locked in. But, I, but people come and go and I could see having a glass door style, almost like a, a combined with a wired score where a workplace or a, an office building gets a score based on how, I don't know, productive the, the companies that are there or how happy the people are. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I know. There's so many data points. And you know what? I think as, as people uh, move companies and get recruited they might say, well, what building are you in? Go look up the score and decide whether they take a job there. But um, anyway, that, that's a, neither here nor there. I think every time I speak to you, um, I come out with a, a new business idea. Some <laughs> <laughs> of my brain things. I just don't have enough lives to make them all happen. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no. Okay. This has been fantastic. Thank you for, for doing this, Joe. I'm going to ask you one more question. And, you know, one of the things that I've found about you, you have so much energy and I'd say you're, you are relatively young compared to a lot of people in, in, this, in this industry, but not so much young in age per se. I'm not referring to that, but young in mind. And, and I really appreciate your growth mindset. So final piece of advice from you for someone else just starting in this industry. One of the things that I find about entrepreneurs or you know, people who are setting up their own business, and I mean, I'm meeting people on a daily basis entrepreneurs on a daily basis and I think somebody coming into the real estate sector or the property sector would be you know more of a generic statement that isn't really related to property but more related to business to say that when you're coming into the market and you're setting up your new business one thing that I don't see a lot of entrepreneurs is identify the route to market strategy before you actually sort of set up that business and you create your your proposition and you know when you're creating a new business that route to market strategy is imperative for you in terms of how are you going to attack the market where are you going to spend your time and energy and a big part of that route to market strategy is getting your value proposition ready and as I say, the great thing about Manchester is, and I'm sure a number of other cities, I'm just choosing Manchester because I'm biased, <laughs> but 
essentially in terms of Manchester business community, when I set up my business, I went out to 10, 15 entrepreneurs and CEOs, directors, whatever that may be, and actually tested my proposition against the people that would be buying from my services. And I think once you have that in terms of you can sit in a, you know, non-threatening environment as somebody who can, you know, you can run through your proposition with, you can run through your route to market strategy, and they're the ones that are going to be buying from you and they can articulate, you know, the key messages, the biggest challenges, and that will then tie into your value proposition of how you communicate your business and express your business. Um, but also, you know, the way you go about your strategy and which areas you're going to spend your time and energy in to get your business off the ground. And I think that's my biggest bit of advice from anyone coming into that market is make sure that you do your research. Great advice. So Joe, again, thank you. Really appreciate you taking the time and thank you for all the opportunities that you're bringing our way. How do you want people to connect with you? We'll put links in the show notes. So Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, where do you want people to find you? I think at the moment, I'm most active, as you can probably tell, on the uh, LinkedIn platform. So yep. uh, anybody that wants to have a chat, then, you know, drop me a message and would love to chat. Definitely on LinkedIn, yeah. Brilliant. We'll do that. Thank you again. Joe, I'll see you next time I'm up in Manchester. We'll go back to Blue's Kitchen and have an excellent sandwich there. Thank you for listening in. And uh, until next time, take care of yourself. And now, the final break to complete the story of how TSK helped Kellogg's create their workplace of the future, this time in the words of Kellogg's, which means I have to mention, I had a chance to meet Kellogg's European facilities manager, Derek McDonald, on a recent trip to Manchester, England. Let's hear what he and his team have to say. We found that we had a natural attrition rate where people, once we opened the office, with no pressure, they started to come back in. Now when you walk in the door here, the flavour that you get, you see all the branding, you see how light and airy and spacious it is. There's so many different spaces to work in, not just standard desks. It just really, really works very well. When we saw it come to life, it was really interesting because you never really think it's going to look like it's going to in the picture, but it did. You definitely know it's a Kellogg's building when you walk into this floor and I love the reaction of everybody who comes here. It's nice to now be proud of a workspace. When you look at the design of the office, TSK really understood that from where our culture is to where we want it to be. We want the people mingling, we want the people to get to know each other and it's very evident in the layouts, the designs and when you look at our brands and our colours and our phone and our, our product, that's evident here. And that was great working with a team that understood what we were about, what we wanted. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and remember, fortune favours the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. Making a high-quality podcast like this one takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire a podcast company. With our White Glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. 
With a weekly podcast, you'd build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would help grow your business? We do. Contact jason at apodcastcompany.com and let's talk.